Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. There might be somebody in your life who who shared things with you or did something with you or for you that was a turning point in your life. Anybody can think of somebody that did that in your life? Yeah. And I had been meaning to reach out to this person for a little while. And I got a text Thursday morning that they had passed away. And I thought, you know, I don't think my friend Fred was waking up morning by morning wondering, why hasn't Jared thanked me for the enlightenment I have put into his life? I don't even think that was any thought as he went to sleep Thursday morning. But the part that will always sit on me is, I never got to really tell him thank you for what he did in my life. And for the rest of my life, I kind of just have to hold on to that. And as I've been studying this idea of saying thank you and having gratitude and enjoying appreciation and sharing that with someone else, I have to admit, I've always thought saying thank you to someone was for them. Be polite, say thank you. They did something and they deserve a thank you. Perhaps you may have thought that too, and I think you're gonna be blessed by what we look at this morning. Because over and over again, the Bible keeps challenging us, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And I'll admit at one time I thought, does, does God need my thanks? I mean, he's good, he's loved. Why does he need me to thank him? And then I started to learn this idea that I want to share with you this morning, something called active or proactive appreciation. It's different than a reactive appreciation or a responsive appreciation. And there's something in it where we start to see there are benefits for us when we are appreciative. when we count our blessings, when we write our blessings. Studies show that this act of appreciation helps with our overall happiness. That's for us, not for the person we're saying thank you to. It helps improve relationships, both parties. It counteracts depression. Anybody here ever experienced depression? You don't have to raise your hand. I have. So when I read that, I thought, you know, that's interesting. That just being appreciative can help my own depression. Uh, Those who are appreciative in studies report fewer aches and pains. They report improved sleep. Better cardiovascular health. 
Gratitude is more and more recently being shown not just to improve mental health, but also our physical health. Now, I have to admit, as I put this sermon together, I thought, yeah, everybody knows this. I know this. But then as I, as I continued, I thought, you know, I may know this, but I don't really practice this. I'm a responsive person, pretty much. My mom taught me well. When somebody does something nice for you, you say thank you. Pretty much all the benefits I'm going to share with you don't really come from that. That's just being polite. Or as I was telling my wife this week, if, if another mom says about your child, bless their heart, you, those might be fighting words here in the South. So I want to talk to you about this idea of active appreciation and how it is, it is regardless of what is taking place in the present. How can you be appreciative in the midst of losing your job, in the midst of cancer, sickness, loss? How do we live with gratitude and not taking things for granted? Well, here's here's one idea of how. How do you say thank you? And there's something that has been absolutely fascinating to me over the last few years, as we communicate more and more by text and by email. Uh, One of my good friends has done something that I told my wife, I want to do this, and Annette said, that is so rude, don't do that. So my friend Chris did it, and my hat's off to him. When you call his voicemail, he says, you can leave a voicemail, but if you really want to get a hold of me, just text me. And I thought, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So when we text people, what's really going on? Especially when we're saying thank you. Uh, There was a study conducted by Albert Morabian where it said 93% of what we communicate is nonverbal. So when I call you, text you especially, or email you, 93% of what I'm trying to convey is not coming through. And yet, this is how most of us communicate. So let's say someone asks you, maybe it's your boss, your manager, hey, I need you to put in extra time. I need you to do this report, put this presentation together, and uh, I need you to have it to me by 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. And since most of us are workaholics, we ignore all the duties of life. We stay up into the night. We put this thing together. We send it to the person that has asked us and they respond with the text, thanks. Now I'll admit, when I read any text or email that says thanks, especially with an exclamation point, which I'm sure they were attempting something more there, this is what I hear. Thanks for nothing. I hear, thanks, since this was your job and all. But I don't hear any bit of, really, Mary, thank you. Thank you for staying up into the night and for putting your time into this. And I'm really grateful you did this. I do not hear that with thanks. It's amazing. They're starting to see studies of workplace happiness and cultural joy by how many emojis are used in workplace communication. 
that you can directly tie in relationships with. How many emojis do the people in your company use when they communicate with each other? Because the more emojis, the more people like each other and your organization. Or it's even just a few simple words. So thanks, which is to me is like, you hate me, to, you know, uh, man, brother, girl, sister. I really appreciate this. You have no idea. Seriously, Ralph, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I'll be glad to stay up every night of the week just for you to say that to me. But you send me a thanks and we might not be friends much longer. So it's these, it's these little things in how we thank people. How about to who we are to, to show appreciation to? So a study online conducted by Glassdoor revealed that more than 80% of employees say they're motivated to work harder when their boss just does this simple thing, shows appreciation for them. 80% are motivated to work harder. Compared to less than 40%, which is half of the 80, work harder if the boss is demanding or because they fear losing their job and I need this job. So it's twice as effective. And how hard is it to really say thank you? To go out of your way to let someone know that you appreciate them. Because employees who are appreciated work harder and stay longer, studies show, just by expressing, hey, really glad you're here. I want to share a story with you about this power of appreciating people from the Bible. If you want to turn there with me, we're going to 2 Samuel chapter 18. And here's the context of the story. David is king of Israel. One of his trusted best friends has a gorgeous wife. He sends his trusted friend out to battle. He sleeps with his best friend's wife. Time passes, he has the friend killed so he can marry the woman. And then one of David's best friends, Nathan the prophet, comes to him and says, I've got a little story to tell you. There was a rich man, he had all these sheep, but he wanted to sacrifice one of a poor man. What do you think of this, David? I'm summarizing the story. And David is furious. He's totally clueless of his own circumstances. And he says, that man should repay fourfold for what he's done to the poor man. And Nathan the prophet says, that man is you. And you will repay fourfold for what you have done. And as the story progresses, judgment, as it often is with God, is delayed. And David starts to think, maybe, maybe I kind of got away with one there. And then sadly, as time passes, one of David's sons decides to force himself on his sister. And another brother is furious. And all the kingdom hears about this. But David, the parent, he knows he'd done wrong and he's a sinner too. Who am I to judge? So he lets this crime go unpunished. And eventually one of the brothers gets so upset 
that he says, I'm going to take things into my own hands. So he invites Amnon and the sister to a party, and Absalom kills Amnon on the spot. Now, David is upset, but in the hearts of a lot of people in the kingdom, you know, Amnon got what was coming to him. And David didn't do anything about it. So finally, Joab, one of the generals of David, his trusted general, says, hey, we got to work this out. This is crazy. Work this out with your son. So finally, David says, okay, he can move back into the palace, but he ignores him for two years. And the sister lives with Absalom. And you can imagine this recurring idea and memory keeps creeping into his head. Dad did nothing to the crime to my sister. And so Absalom starts to sit at the gate of the city and he begins to tell people, you know, if I was in charge, this is what I would do. We're told Absalom was the most gorgeous man in the land stunning. That his beauty was so attractive that this was his leading uh, quality for people wanting him to be king. This guy's just gorgeous, men and women, like he's the one. And so David doesn't do anything. He ignores Absalom. And after two years, Absalom pretty much has everyone on his side. David's not a good leader anymore. Absalom, I mean, he's going to be king anyway. Let's just make this happen. Well, it gets to the point where Absalom has started the coup. And with coups, you have to kill the old generals and you have to get rid of the king. And that's where we pick up our story in 2 Samuel chapter 18. David has had to flee in the night. He's an older man now. These were his young days. He was into fleeing but man, he's older now, and he thought he'd just ride off into the sunset, but no. And so it says, And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, because they are on the run. One-third under the hand of Abishai, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you, Myself, because now Absalom has mounted forces and they are coming out to take care of David and these last remaining faithful to David and the throne. But the people answered in verse three, you shall not go out for if we flee away, they will not care about us nor if half of us die. Will they care about us? But you, they're talking to David, you're worth 10,000 of us now for you are now more help to us in the city. So they're in another city now, and David is told, you stay here, let all of us go out and fight for you. And then the king said to him, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, well, these are his departing words. 
Their whole lives have been turned upside down. There is a coup, and in coups, you kill the generals of the old army that are faithful to the king. And King David tells them as they walk out of the city, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Now just how would you feel if you've literally been fleeing in the night, risking your life, there's a coup in place, and the one that you are fighting against, the king says, hey, be kind to him. Whatever those feelings are, hold on to them. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. So it's even worse. Everyone heard this. You gotta admit that's a little strange. We're going out to fight against this man that's overthrowing the kingdom. You just told us to be nice to him. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. I don't know about you, but I get a picture of, there must've been a lot of chasing and running and these are some dangerous woods. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree. So you can imagine racing through the woods on this mule. He's got long flowing hair and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth and the mule which was under him went on. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. So Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him. Why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab in verse 12, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. I love some of the old king's English. I'm sure it was a little more rough and tough than, I cannot linger with you. He took three spears in his hand and thrust them into Absalom. Joab was not going home with a report that we were very sweet and nice to Absalom. They take care of the body. They go back into the city and we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 19. There's two men that run to David. He thinks, bound to be good news from one of these guys. Ends up, the second one tells him, hey, Absalom, your son, I hope the enemies of David are like what happened to him. And David loses it. Emotionally, he loses it. And in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse one, it says, and Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it and said that day, the king is grieved for his son. The commentary on this says, all the men, thousands are coming back from the woods. They're shouting, cheering, singing, we have victory. And it's the hills were reverberating with all of this. 
And as they get to the city to report to the king, whom they told, hey, stay here, stay safe. We'll go fight for you. They hear from this high up tower wailing. And the king wailing for his son, Absalom. And what turned from a, basically a parade turns into what's described as like a funeral procession. So I hope you're getting all the dynamics here. But the king, verse four, covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, oh, my son, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Now remember in verse one, Joab had just gotten word of this. He probably heard it, but people had probably started to tell him, David is so sad that he's lost his son. Verse five, then Joab came into the house of the king and said, today, he's furious. So here we go. You have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life. The lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. In that you love your enemies and hate your friends. You have declared today that you re- today that you regard neither princes nor servants for to perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. In your imagination, are you seeing this scene? Joab, who has been with David since they were young men, they've been together 40, 50 years. They have fought in battle, side by side, and Joab is hot. He is furious. How dare you? And then he says this. Now, still this is the king. So, you know, you you have to understand these dynamics. They're great friends, but they're still a king, and he's not king. So there is a line that Joab realizes he is crossing. And then he tells it to the king. Get up, go out, and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And it will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. And he knew of that evil. Man. I mean, this this is every threat and promise that Joab can muster. I think the Bible records the, the core parts, but I am imagining there were some parts that probably aren't recorded. And those were the nonverbal parts where Joab walks in and likely steam coming out of his nostrils and ears and David realizes something's up. And if you've ever had somebody be very forthright with you and you know what they're saying is right, where the inclination to bark back, shout back is quieted, and you realize what they're saying to me is fair. 
And not only here, but in the commentary, it says David knew he had done a great wrong to Israel. They had protected his life. They had protected the kingdom. They arguably protected the future history of all of Israel. And when they arrive back home, he's wailing for the enemy. And Joab boldly goes in there and says, you get down there and you do the right thing. And it says, David went down there and he comforted and encouraged and commended each of those warriors as they marched into the city. And as as I looked at this story, I thought, it's pretty phenomenal that we have such a beautiful lesson of the power of appreciation in this story. And Joab is basically saying, if you don't go down there and tell those people who risked their lives for you, thank you, you are sorry. And then he tells him, and what's going to happen to you next will make all the rest of the stuff look light. How that element of appreciation can turn destiny one way or another. I know there have been some pastors who if it is one letter of thank you, that will keep them in ministry. One word from a spouse that will ward off divorce. One word from a mean, nasty boss that keeps somebody from doing something they would regret. One little detail, one little way to say thank you. It can go a long way. I wanna share with you some of the personal benefits that David would have started to experience. See, he was in deep depression. And this wasn't just for his men. David was receiving benefits here. So a Harvard Medical School report showed gratitude and being appreciative is strongly and consistently associated with greater personal happiness. One study showed two groups and the effects of gratitude and appreciation in their lives. And it went like this. One group identified something they were grateful for and wrote it down each week for 10 weeks. Just, just something. Wrote it down. I'm grateful for this. Another group identified something that was of concern or stress to them for the same period. After 10 weeks, the group who had been expressing gratitude were overall more optimistic and felt better about their entire lives. Surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer visits to physicians than those who focused on sources of aggravation. Just that little act of identifying something you're grateful for, that you're appreciative of. Appreciation and gratitude are ways for people to value what they have or what they enjoy versus the feeling of always reaching for something more with the hope that just one more thing, a few more inches on my TV screen, one more person, one more experience is what I need to be happy in life. And it's pretty phenomenal. We have two holidays, day after next, that contrast these ideas. One, count your blessings. The next, you need more stuff. (laughs) Here's another study. This one's very interesting. Showed the value of specifically identifying things, experiences, or people you are grateful for by writing them down. Something about taking it from the mind and writing it down that makes it real. 
the researchers decided to include fMRI scans in research to see if blood flow and brain activity were influenced solely by the act of expressing appreciation and gratitude. They found that, in fact, there was increased blood flow to the prefrontal cortex. Sometimes we call this the frontal lobe. They also discovered that one of the key ways in which appreciation and gratitude affect the human body is by ceasing all ill effects of toxic emotions. So as soon as I take the bold leap into, what am I grateful for? I instantly cut off all the nasty effects of stress and depression and discouragement. And now I'm rebooting and rebuilding things that these emotions have broken down. They then went back months later and found that blood flow had stayed at the same levels from the experiment they'd done months earlier. So just a few months of appreciation had lasting effects. I'll share an example that my dad, I witnessed him doing for years, and I'll admit that while he did it, I thought, I think this is manipulative, or eh, don't people see right through this? As he was asking someone for something, a lot of times it was, hey, listen, uh, we're going on this long flight, and I know I don't have the mileage or the rights, but I'd like to sit in first class. Could you help me with that? And as someone hears this strange request, I mean, I can check for you as if to say, oh my word, of course you cannot. And they would begin to pretend probably looking for something or maybe sometimes it was real. And not too long after they would begin this pursuit, my dad would thank them for helping him sit in first class. And he always did this. He, it was like this proactive appreciation Uh, hey, I I need your help with this. And Ralph, I really appreciate you doing this for me. And I started to see, I think this actually works. There's something about feeling appreciated that even before you've done something, if someone's thanking you for it, you want to at least give them their money's worth. Well, I mean, they thanked me already. I guess I need to do the thing they're thanking me for. I've had that backfire a few times on me when someone says, I haven't done this for you yet, sir. Do not thank me. So it doesn't always work, but sometimes. Here's another way to look at it. Jeff Huffman, an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, describes appreciation and gratitude in three simple steps that go something like this. First, hey, this good thing happened. Second, hey, the source of this goodness comes not from me, but from some external source. And finally, I must say, I am glad about this external source. Pretty simple. So how do we do this? Science says there's a few ways that are proven to be the most beneficial to you personally, to your mental and physical health, as well as to another person. And the first one is saying thank you. And really meaning it. And letting someone know you are really appreciative of them, not so much of what they're doing. You know, it's easy to say, hey, I really appreciate it. And and though we may not realize it, what we're saying is, I appreciate, Randy, that you've just dug this hole for me. Appreciating you, eh, that's not what we're talking about. When I could say, Randy, I really appreciate you. Now, he can assume I'm talking about digging the hole and, 
and being my friend and all these different things, but it's a whole lot deeper than I appreciate the act that you've just performed. So really expressing appreciation for someone. Another one is writing a thank you note. It's easy to send a text, easy to send an email, but there's something about writing a thank you and then getting a thank you. Wow, their handwriting is terrible, but at least they said thank you. I mean, there is something about that. And another one, writing or reciting the things you are grateful for on a daily basis. And I thought, well, yeah, how do you remember to do this? And someone taught me one time a way to pray that really helps you enjoy all the benefits we've talked about. And it's an acronym that at least I remember it like this. Pray, P-R-A-Y. You begin your prayers with praise, appreciation, gratitude, thanks. And it's not so much built on the circumstances that you're in. So you can be appreciative of, Lord, I am grateful for the experiences you've given me through life. I have gone through some terrible moments, but I've learned things now years later. Man, I've had some amazing moments. And in this moment, though it may not be good, maybe it is good, I am appreciative of those things. So you can be appreciative in the present for things in the past. You can be appreciative in the present for things in the present. Lord, I'm so grateful for the sunshine. It may not be here all day, but I'm really grateful for it right now. And as you go through that, now that we know the physiological benefits, you're cutting off everything else in life that's trying to tell you, be afraid of life, be afraid of people, be afraid of the world, life is bad, to I'm really grateful for these things in life and specifically saying those. And if it includes people, take the time to go thank those people. And then the R is repentance. And I'll use the example of a job. Lord, I'm really grateful for this job. I don't really like it, but it's nice that I do work and they pay me and I get to eat. So the R would be maybe some repentance, but I don't really give my best to this job. And I probably should. You've told us, put all of our effort into a thing and I'm not really doing that. So I'm sorry. And that's not right. And then onto the A, asking. I'd like a new job. So you've praised the Lord. You've confessed, yeah, I've repented of some things here. And you're asking the Lord, hey, but I'd like a new thing. And then the last one is why? Yielding. But Lord, you know what's best. Maybe there's more lessons for me in this job. And I yield to whatever you think is best. Because this idea of appreciation, as we looked at the, hey, this good thing happened and it came from an external source. Prayer is really one of those things. For me personally, someone asked me recently, how do you know if somebody's a Christian? As I thought of all the different things, I said, they pray. I don't care about all the other stuff. Most of it's fake, as we were talking in Sabbath school. But do they pray? Because the act of praying is, I'm not God. And most people in the world believe they are and tell us and show us that they are God. I'm not God. I need help. You do things, you've done things, you're gonna do things that I cannot do for myself. And I I am in humility asking for your help. And I think through this experience on a very consistent basis, we can show our appreciation to God. Even in the midst of things we're not very grateful for. Appreciation is something we can experience in good and bad times. And I think this element of prayer is really letting the Lord, it's not for him, but it is really a moment for us. I believe all the benefits that science is showing for meditation, which is largely built on emptying the mind, I think there are even greater benefits from the studies I've seen of don't empty the mind, 
Fill it with praise of all the things you're grateful for. You will get the benefits of those things. And God will be able to use us so that in moments like we see with David, rather than him festering over a terrible situation, he could have been praising not only others for their encouragement, but for his own. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.